Close your eyes. Assemble your mouthpiece as we enter my third ear. Hey guys, Tamara here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of My Third Ear. Now, straight into it, today we're looking at an instrument, or I should say a family of instruments, that I'm pretty sure a lot of you will have had a toot on yourselves. If you grew up attending an Australian public school, it's likely that around year three or year four, they handed you a descant recorder. Recorders are an awesome way to introduce a young child to music as they can make a sound pretty much straight away and they're fairly non-elitist, costing about 6 to $8 at your local department store. The recorder is one of the most prehistoric instruments known to man. Archival and pictorial evidence like medieval tapestries and paintings lead us to believe that the recorder has been around since about the 14th century, potentially even earlier. Throughout the 15th and 16th centuries, the recorder came to fame through Western art music. In the 15th and 16th centuries, recorders of all different sizes were played in groups called consorts, and recorder consorts were often accompanied by singing and dancing. Specific recorders had associations with different things, for example with seasons like springtime, or certain recorders would be used in processionals. Other recorders might be used specifically in courts. Oh, the recorders. Let me see one. Shakespeare liked to include music in his productions wherever he could. This usually depended, though, on who was hosting the production. For example, if the piece was being held in a court, he had more likely access to musicians who could play in his works. When music was possible for Shakespeare, he liked to use it to heighten significant moments in his plays. Recorders particularly were used to establish prominent moods or settings. Recorded tunes could be used to express a sentiment of love or act like fanfare to signify the entrance of royalty. Blood, do you think I'm easier to be played on than a pipe? Call me what instrument you will, though you can fret me, yet you cannot play upon me. From the 18th century, the recorder got a little bit taken over by the traverso, or what we know now as the common day flute. This is mostly accredited to the development of the orchestral tradition. It was thought that the recorder just wasn't loud enough to play alongside all of the other instruments. Today, in the 21st century, it seems like the instrument is thriving, and it's due to a lot of really dedicated musicians like this guy that I'm about to introduce you to. Hey, my name's Ryan, I play recorder. So I'm in the studio with Ryan Williams and he's going to tell us a little bit about how he got into playing recorder. Whoa. (laughs) 
it's a hard one. No, not really. Um, I always love music. Um, the main things probably in my early life as a, a small kid, about seven years old, uh, was Peter and the Wolf and Fantasia. So those kind of class, classic kids, um, classical music things. And I love the clarinet. Um, I always wanted to play the clarinet. That was my mission um and i didn't have any music at primary school so i did wasn't uh and my f- parents weren't musical uh, so i hadn't kind of no avenue to explore but my parents sort of found out that recorder was a good way to start and that's how i started and i learned privately um got to high school recorder's not a real instrument sorry <laughs> you have to play something else and so i tried all the woodwind instruments and i ended up um the only one that I could really make a sound on was oboe. So I ended up playing oboe for my high school years, which was about six or seven years. Which I'm just going to interject there. I haven't played an oboe myself, but I play the flute, so I often sit next to oboe players. Oh. I don't think oboe is that easy to just play. So the fact that you could just play an oboe. <laughs> it was quite unusual, yeah. That I remember the music director being like, all right, you're, this is it. You've, you've found it. But I, um, and I, I like the instrument. The repertoire is great. It's amazing, like, uh, the stuff you can do on that instrument. Um, but I never, and I got really into it. I did the reed making. I got a bit neurotic, but like uh, I never sort of. It was never comfortable. It was never easy. It was always a challenge, which is good. But it was a challenge. It was not the right challenge for me. And I, I always kept up recorder, so I was sort of playing recorder solo in my own time uh, throughout high school. And then I got to um, tertiary uni tertiary college um and uh i auditioned i got in on both instruments um and on the first day you go into like this orientation um panel where the dean and the head of other things woodwind and blah blah sits in front and they asked me so which instrument do you want to play i didn't realize that this was something that i had to do i thought i could do both um so i had to decide on the spot um, without preparation. No pressure. And um, I just, I went recorder immediately. I took about, you know, five seconds, but I went recorder. And the reason was um, because I've always felt uh, that it was a natural part of me. I could always do whatever I wanted on it. And uh, I felt free to be able to do lots of different musical styles. I just, it felt great to play that instrument. And because it's such an easy instrument to start playing, definitely, can just make a sound. And I think that's really what attracted to me to it at that point at that moment and so yeah that and then I never looked back gave up oboe completely uh, I never played it again modern oboe um, I played a little bit of brock oboe because there's that thing over in Europe where you do the doubling you go and play brock oboe and you play record and you play traverso um, but that was like a that was kind of a like a almost a financially generated path in my head like it, it got it it kind of turned turned into that oh that that's what you do if you want to make a living out of music i was going to say is that kind of like musical players and yeah really great reeds players who can nail saxophone and absolutely which is bloody amazing what they can do and i can't get one right yeah (laughs) but i think it always was kind of sort of it came at me as like oh this is what you do to have to survive i was like and the problem with me big problem with me and the reason why i play recorder is i'm so reactionary I always want to do the opposite. Absolutely the weirdest possible avenue to go down. And it's like, no, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm going to play recorder and I'm going to make it work. And so that's always been like since I got sort of end of high school, that was, I knew it was a reality that 
playing recorder professionally is almost impossible, pretty much. Um, and I knew it was going to be a hell of a challenge, but that was the kind of challenge that I was interested in. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose the end result is I've, I'm making it work, which is great. So, can you explain to us a little bit about the recorder family? Mm. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it's massive. Um, I feel like every time I do more research, I find another one. Yeah, I think that's that's the best part of recorder. It's like when people uh, hear that you play recorder, they think of the small desk count instrument that they may have learned at primary school, um, which I was fortunate not to have to do in a crowd say, of 25 people. You're pretty Maybe that's one of the rare. reasons I didn't give up. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because anything 25 times is horrible, whether that's a saxophone 25 times, a violin 25 times. So why would you do that to an instrument? Anyway, that's a whole other story. But, um, yeah, the recorder belongs to a a massive family of instruments that developed um, over a huge period of time. Um, They kind of had their heyday in the Renaissance period. Um, So, like, late 1400s through to kind of 1600 if we're talking big numbers um and they used to play in consorts so you'd have like the popular kind of um, consorts of the day were like six and seven recorder players hanging out at the court of king henry the whatever playing beautiful music for written specifically for the instruments none of which hardly survive uh that music um but also arranging all the melodies that like the pop tunes of the day that were sung in in quintets and sextets and stuff like that um so you've got that kind of instrument that people play now in groups and also use in a contemporary sense which is great it's kind of i suppose this sort of similar to a chamber organ like a wooden chamber organ sound um and then the instrument kind of went through a a changing period in time when a lot of things were happening in Europe, the Enlightenment, a whole bunch of things, the start of the Baroque era. And so uh, it's kind of down to the French. I think the French redesigned the instrument um, to the more Baroque model that you might look at when you're playing the one at primary school. So that's kind of modelled after a Baroque instrument, most of those. Um, And they also belong to a family. So just as the Renaissance had their um, contrabass, bass, great bass, um, tenor, alto, soprano, descant, on, in all a bunch of different keys, like all the lowest notes are all different. Um, you also had that in the Baroque era as well um, and a few little ones in between. Um, and it, it's a great instrument because it continues to develop. There's still people designing new recorders today. Um, so there's like, you know, the contemporary recorder that's got an adjustable mouthpiece and um, a bunch of keys whacked on it to give it more flexibility and control in certain ways it's a completely different sound to the baroque instrument it's much more harsher louder bolder sound maybe a little bit more along the lines of a flute a traverso um but the thing is recorder players have to play everything it's it's not just if you're a professional you cannot just play the descant that you played at primary school and nor would you want to because like you want all this artillery of instruments to create all the possible sounds yeah, you need all your weapons yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I asked Ryan a little bit about what his career as a recorder player looks like. Uh, I run a bunch of ensembles um, 
from a range of different genres of music, from jazz through to kind of Celtic folk, through to experimental noise, electronic, uh, through to um, more classically composed music. So I might commission a composer to write me a work. Maybe it's with electronics. Maybe it's just acoustic. Um, through to singer-songwriter, through to recording sessions um, that I really love doing. and I love putting recorder in, in the pop context and making sure that it, it could can survive in that, in that world because it's got definitely things to offer. Um, so that's kind of my managing performing side. I do um, mostly education workshops for kids and for adults. There's a massive recorder community, both young and old, in Australia. Uh, that are very supportive of the professional recorder players here. And also I know around the world that those societies and, and guilds exist still. Um, I don't actually teach one-on-one. Um, -on -one. I've got maybe one or two students, but that's not uh, where my focus is. It's very much to do with performing. Um, and also a big part of my career is working uh, interdisciplinary, so with uh, people who are actors and dancers and I work for a puppet company, a giant puppet company called Snuff Puppets, and I'm their kind of one of their music directors, and so I create the sound world for them, um, as well as being involved in creating the structure of the shows and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, interdisciplinary performance is something that's very important to me right now at this present moment. So for those listeners who've heard episode one, they might remember Matthew Horsley, who is our Illin Pipe expert. And Ryan is actually in a duo with Matt. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a little more about that. Oh, it's such a great duo. So Matt and I met at, in our final year of university, uh, and he's also a percussionist. I, maybe you covered that on the podcast, but he's a virtuoso percussionist. And so we were doing crazy, weird, fluxus, new music, writing our own stuff uh, for many years me playing recorder, him playing percussion and a bit of swapping over. Especially at that time, he was really interested in playing tin whistle in the Irish tradition as well. So that all that bled in together, which was so good. Um, and then he just kind of ran with the yielding pipes. He'd been playing them for a while and he just, like, it was amazing. He committed, he went overseas, learned from amazing people and he's just such a great player and such an inspiring um, musician to play with. So in our duo... Um, it's an interesting combination. There's a lot of historically sort of based evidence um, back in the day that, uh, especially in England, the recorder and the yearling pipes or the precursor to the yearling pipes, the pastoral pipes, um, were definitely played together. Definitely. There's just evidence of people being at the same pub and they totally would have jammed. So that's, that's the kind of evidence that we have. Um, so we, what we do is um, we take... Uh, just go to pubs, right? Just yeah, we just go to pubs and like... Drink a lot of beer. You know, <laughs> just Guinness. Guinness is our middle name. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we, we play traditional early music. We play Irish folk music. And so he tries to adapt early French Baroque music because it... It sort of uh, connects with the musette, which is a very similar instrument to the Elim Pipes in many ways. So we kind of do that, and he tries to play French rock music, and I, that's kind of good for me. It fits, fits well for a recorder. And then I try and play a traditional Celtic 
Irish folk music and that doesn't really fit well for me, but we, we make it work. <laughs> and it, it sounds great. The, the, the mix of the two instruments is really good. And an important part of our practice has always been commissioning composers and he's a composer himself um, and I dabble in composing. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really important part to make sure that we're here in Australia getting composers who are Australian to write new music and also write music ourselves. And so um, just opening up to this kind of new sound world is so good, especially with electronics. We haven't done heaps, but if you put like a chorus pedal on his um, Yulene pipes, it just turns into a cathedral organ. It's amazing. Real. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many things to explore, and there's not that many recorder yearling pipe duos. Maybe there's one in Ireland. I don't know. <laughs> there's probably one in Germany or something, but there's not many. Yeah, you guys could host the first convention. You maybe, yeah, yeah recorder yearling pe- <laughs> pipe convention. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many players doing different things around the world. I think that's a really special thing. Of course, this is the same in all instruments. Uh, But there's a special thing about recorder players, which is the question, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you stop playing instrument? And people have really um, found their own paths to make the instrument work in a professional context. Um, Here in Australia, I would have to say uh, Genevieve Lacey is probably the most famous and most prolific recorder player a very good friend and mentor of mine and her projects are fantastic ranging from music projects through to interdisciplinary projects um one of her really good cds is weaver of fictions it's all contemporary music and i really love that cd recording of a player called Antonio Politano. Ryan actually put me onto him and he's a pet sword specialist. So pet sword, it's spelled P-A-E-T-Z-O-L-D. A pet sword is like a giant bass modern day recorder. It's long, it's rectangular, it's kind of based on an organ pipe. So it produces really rich bass tones. Physically, it's got a square bore as opposed to the usual round bore of a recorder. And it's got really big keys that composers often use as percussive effects. I was lucky enough to meet my first Petzolds in Darmstadt, Germany last year at the International Festival for New Music. A very cool dude and friend of mine, Hunter Long, who's a composer, a saxophonist and runs the Black House Arts Collective, was happy enough to show me his very own Petzl. Uh, Hunter's background is as a saxophone player. Mm-hmm. How did you end up from saxophone to Petzl? Were you just interested in finding a new sound? Or? Um, I, uh, I had done a uh, Black House workshop where we the kind of the, the the theme was toy instruments and so each of the composers was given um access to this uh small arsenal of toy instruments and one of the things we had was a yamaha plastic recorder set um from like Sabrina you know, to tenor and so we um used the recorders as as part of a, a bunch of toy instruments 
and it was pretty fun. And then the next time we had a workshop, uh, people had asked to write for recorder um, for me, and I was like, sure. And so I ended up having to practice it in a more serious way, mm. and it was fun. And it was uh, it ended up being a lot more fun to give uh, composers another option um, and not have to shoehorn in a saxophone like they didn't want it. Um, and so it's 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 fun because the the higher recorders can sound kind of cute in a new music context, um, but uh, yeah. So that's kind of how the started practicing the recorders more, and then with the Petzold, I'd seen it and heard it. And I was like, well, that's really cool. Um, and I was up for an award, and it was like, well, if I win the award, I'll, I'll, I'll buy one. And so that worked out. Um, awesome. And that's, that's kind of how I fell into it. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're not really common in North America um, at all. Uh, kind of a, but that's kind of how I found out, yeah. fell into it. Uh, the biggest difference is it has no back pressure, so um, you just, it's like you just breathe out and it's gone. Um, so with saxophone, um, I, I can't really hold it. I, I would get lightheaded when I first tried to, tried to practice this, uh, just because it takes so much air. Um, yeah, compared to saxophone, it's, it's, it's much, like a berry sax is way easier um, because there's a lot of back pressure and saxophones are very efficient. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very different. And it's also a do where the, the air pressure um, is really the main uh, thing you have to use to control everything because uh, there isn't, um, you know, a mount, uh, like, a, like an embouchure like on a saxophone. So uh, with saxophone, you can... You know, you can chew on it. I mean, and uh, just do things with your mouths. It's a different set. So the all the stuff and just like the flute, it's all inside your mouth as opposed to, um, you know, biting on something. This is a piece called Contracts that Hunter wrote for Petzold and three percussionists. It's really interesting. So a lot of the repertoire is very European um, from my perspective. So it's been fun to try to uh, actually, been a, a pretty big challenge to tr commission um, North American and South American composers to write for it because they're so unfamiliar with it um, that they don't know how to write for it. And I, I, I'm, I'm having to get better at explaining to them what it can and can't do. Of course, yeah. Um, As Ryan explained to us, the recorder has made a whole new life for itself, especially in popular music. 
This song takes me right back to being a nine-year-old, sitting in the back of my dad's car, driving home from my grandma's down this big hill in Carlingford that we called as little kids the Big Dipper. I feel like the opening of this song emotes so many memories or feelings in a lot of people. Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven gave the recorder probably its most famous pop culture appearance. Actually, funnily enough, when Led Zeppelin performed the piece live, they actually don't use recorders. John Paul Jones performs the recorder chorale on a Mellotron, which is a type of synthesizer. All it glitters is gold, and she's buying the stairway. Carly Rubenstein has made a career for herself out of jazz recorder. That's right, she's rocking jazz festivals all over the world and is currently working on her third album, which is going to come out later this year. Lord of the Rings diehards will recognise this theme from the end of the 2001 Fellowship of the Ring film. We're Jerboa, we're a band from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and uh, we're a six-piece ensemble or group or band with uh, recorder players, three of them actually, and one of them also plays uh, iwi, which is the electric wind instrument. Well, it's the iwi and it's a really funky synthesizer that looks like a recorder or you play it like a recorder, but you can get all the all possible sounds out of it and then there's a electric guitar and drums and uh, we all sing and we all compose um, so we do a lot and musically we combine also all sorts of styles so it's quite a hassle to describe to name the style but we kind of ended up with post-pop or art rock or uh, world beat well, you can, you can decide what it is. I'm Brechtje, I'm the lead singer of Jerboa, and I also started the group uh, two years ago now almost. And for me, the reason to invite uh, Sarah and Jose and also Dodo later, later on was that, first of all, they are really amazing musicians, and then they happen to play recorder. It's almost like that, I think. Um, and... Well, they just transform these recorders in these super versatile instruments that um, can do anything you like. And of course, they have a very specific bit, sound color. I think the main reason we use so much recorder in Jaboa is that we're just like-minded people who happen to have found each other and who happen to play the recorder. 
It's a brilliant instrument. It's so versatile and it sounds really great in the band. The nice thing is that you can bring a lot of instruments with you, so you can have all different kinds of sounds, different sound worlds for each song. For me, recorders are a bit like the wooden brass section in our band. So they're like the brass section you would have in a big jazz band but then they're transformed to these wooden <laughs> pipes that can in my honest opinion can sound uh, even much more funkier be because of all these accents you can do and odd sound colors around it and the like the and that that kind of stuff so yeah What always lies in that weird experimental or like a bit odd realm, which is great. That's good. And it, it needs to embrace that more. Um, but yeah, I think a good step for the instrument is just more players need to be doing weirder ensemble stuff and still playing the hits, still playing Vivaldi, still playing Talaman and all that Baroque music and still in, you know, early Renaissance quintets playing, or you know, sextets playing amazing Renaissance music. But I think for the instrument to survive in a good way, um, yeah, we need to embrace a little bit more what other people are doing and, yeah, it's happening. It's like there's just quite a few players now and it's starting to trickle down. But I think... Um, all around that, all, all around the world, it, it sort of is starting to evolve into something a bit different. And I think players also need to kind of just open up the blinkers a bit and go, hey, actually, this instrument could fit in that context really well and it would sound really cool. Or maybe I could get like a shamisen player and like a, um, you know, an actor and and also, you know, a um, double bass player and, and like, a, um, a harp and, you know, and just sort of squash these things together and see what happens. And I think the recorder is, like, one of the perfect vehicles to do that. It does it already with electronics. Like, it's already a, a leading instrument in the electronic world. And as a recorder player, you're kind of trained in early music, new music, working with electronics, um, you know, Commissioning composers has always been an important part of the instrument since the 60s, 50s and 60s. Um, so it has this kind of big tradition already and players are, are good at pushing the limits and following weird rabbit hole themes. That's it for today. Thanks so much to Ryan Williams, Hunter Long and the awesome dudes from Jaboa. I'm going to be putting up links to all of these wonderful people's things on all of the social media, so make sure you guys check them out. A little reminder to review us on iTunes. It helps for other people to find the podcast. I also recommend going and listening to Genevieve Lacey's entire Peggy Glenville Hicks address. Pretty inspiring stuff. And please keep sending me your suggestions. I love hearing from you guys. 